This, 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 this is mythical. Hey guys, before we get into this episode, we wanted to ask you to help us out with something. Now, last week we told you about our listener survey at podsurvey.com slash biscuits. And first of all, thanks to those of you who have already filled out that survey. Um, but if you haven't already, we still need your input. It's quick, anonymous, and it helps us and you. Right, we're able to provide ear biscuits to you for free at no charge. That's what free means. Thank you. Uh, because of our sponsors. Uh, but we want those sponsors to be things that you actually care about, and this survey will help make that happen. Yeah, go to podsurvey.com slash biscuits. It'll take no more than five minutes, and your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners, you. Uh, when you complete the survey, you'll be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. You know what? We could get on Amazon for $100. I can think of a number of things, but you're gonna get them. We're not gonna get them. You're gonna get them. Uh, like, like a number of uh, Q-tips. And yeah. Like a big Several number. dozen at least. Uh, we will not share your email or sell your email address to anyone, and we will not send you an email unless you win. So go to PodSurvey. <laughs> I always Pod, wanna say podcast. It's not But podcast. don't do that, don't go there. Go to podsurvey.com slash biscuits. Yeah, either go there right now, podsurvey.com slash biscuits, or just, I don't know, write it down and go there at the end of the show. Right, because you know, you can. we want you to listen to an ear biscuit, so if you're not gonna go right now, uh, take an ink pen, write on yourself, you can tattoo it later, or you can just do it on a little note. What, however you take notes, do it, you'll find it later and be like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to go to podsurvey.com slash biscuits. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for being your mythical best. On with the biscuit. Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Link. And I'm Rhett. Joining us today at the round table of dim lighting is us. It's a Rhett and Link only Ear Biscuit. So, so no buttons joining us. We're joining each other. Here Hello, we are. Link. Uh, join me, Rhett, here at the round table for a discussion about uh, sports and our interactions with said topic yeah, just, over our lives. Yeah, just to clarify, this is just before you tune out if you're not interested in sports, this isn't like, hey, let's talk about the Yankees, you know, or the Super Bowl. Well, we can't do that. <laughs> this is- We're uh, not capable. We're talking about us and how we've interacted with sports throughout uh, throughout the years. So I, now that you understand we're gonna be talking about ourselves, now you can tune out. Yeah, 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 go ahead and, and tune with, out now, right. And make an informed decision yeah. to exactly. biscuit. Uh, D biscuit. That's what it's called. Huh? The, yeah, wow. when you when you when you get out early, uh, you're de biscuiting. I will say uh, I'm not too active with sports these days. Uh, last time I kicked a soccer ball was over the holidays, though, because I uh, was staying with my uh, my sister and brother in law and, and my two nephews, and uh, I was outside in the yard with a soccer ball, and the neighborhood kids came and joined me, and me and like. Eight other neighborhood kids. Were your nephews outside too, or were you just out there with a soccer ball? If at first one of them was out there, and then it was just me and all the neighborhood kids, and I, it was one of those things where I had a soccer ball, and I was like, "You guys think I can kick it through that tree?" There's a tree that had like a Y shape in it. You guys think I, I'm trying to impress a bunch of kids? Basically, is what I was doing. <laughs> you guys think I can kick it? And I always do this because if you do it on the first try, they never forget it. 45 minutes later. Even though they don't know you, you'll be like that mythological guy that was at 
their neighbor's house who kicked the soccer ball through the V in the tree yeah, right. on his first try. Yeah, it makes and they're l- gonna remember that the rest of their lives is what you're thinking. Uh, oh, this are, is more revealing. Do, do you remember what it was like growing up? There are things like this that you remember. <laughs> okay, that's, When a stranger okay. comes out of a house and kicks an amazing I mean, if you're wearing soccer a, kick? a cowboy hat maybe, or like there's something else a little weird about you. No, I'm tall. I'm, okay, uh, you okay. Know. And th- this is a familiar concept But to hold me. on, but you didn't even know because I for, after 45 minutes in every I, kid I in the know, neighborhood. No, the concept is familiar. Before you tell me what happened, oh. the concept of setting up a physical challenge like this is familiar to me because you did it our whole lives. You, we'd be walking down the street before we had our licenses. You'd be like, let's pick up that rock and I bet you I can hit that the O in that stop sign from 100 yards away. Well, let's, think about let's it Let's spend the next two hours trying to do and it. And what happens when you do it? It changes your life. Exuberance. And everyone around you. And it so changed, what happened? It, well, 45 minutes later, I did it. For, 45 minutes in the front yard kicking a soccer ball with strange kids. Well, I did it and every kid did it and then I, eventually I kinda got tired. The, the mom from one of the houses came out and started talking. I talked to her for a while, the kids tried it and then I went back to trying it and eventually I got it and I'm sure those kids' lives are changed. So that was your recent When was the last time you kicked a soccer ball, huh? <laughs> I do have a soccer ball in my garage, but it we got it out the other day and it was like totally flat. It had died. The soccer ball had died. Well, you can revive it pretty easily. You don't have to perform a miracle, you can just like get a pump. That's a good point, but I wasn't I wasn't willing to do that. So that you just took my temperature on organized sports right <laughs> there, you know. Um here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a trip down memory lane um with our involvement in organized sports, uh, I think there's lots of places that we can go, some sad, some happy, yeah. and uh, see if there's any lessons to be gleaned um, that I think ultimately may apply to us as dads. Maybe. And having kids and their involvement or lack of involvement in um, organized sports. But first, I wanna talk about underwear for a second. Oh, really? Um, well, yeah, I, c- I can always talk about underwear, and you guys know that we like to talk about undies. But uh, <laughs> since we're talking about sports, I'll, I'll go ahead and relate the two. My high, co- high school soccer coach, Coach, coach Brandel. Brandel, never wore underwear. How do I know this? <laughs> because he always wore like soccer shorts, and some days they were white, and they were old. Oh, man. And they were see-through, dude. Really? And yeah, my first, as a freshman, I sat the bench. And where's the bench? It's behind the coach. So I'm like looking at his behind. Well, you should be and, watching the game. Well, I'm, I'm like, put me in, coach, so I don't have to look at your behind through your see-through umbro shorts. The dude needed underwear. Well, I think I like to think that he never wore underwear because he couldn't find the perfect pair, Link. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did he need? He needed to know about MeUndies.com. <laughs> MeUndies are the most comfortable underwear you will ever wear. I'm wearing a black pair right now, and yesterday I was wearing a camouflage. Let me check. I'm wearing pair. a red pair. I'm wearing a red pair just in case I'm in an accident. You won't know it. Like if I'm shot in the butt. I like guess. if your groin is bleeding, that's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what could happen, man. It's just Los Angeles. Um, but I will say one of the things I love about Meandies is they are environmentally friendly. The materials used are sustainably sourced from the Austrian Alps. So think about this, Link. I've never been to the Alps. Never been to that part of the world, to be honest with you. But, but when your I, skivvies have. When I, yeah, exactly. When I put these on, I feel like a mountaineer. I feel like somebody in the Alps, like doing one of those calls. What do they do? Yodel? Like a yodel. I can't really do a yodel. Uh, so anyway, if you can get that middle picture of me on top of uh, the mountains in my underwear, looking good. They use a carbon neutral process 
so there's a low carbon footprint, and they also save water and energy due to their spun dried fiber process. So you feel good wearing MeUndies, and you feel good about wearing them. Mm-hmm. Um, they got cool styles for both men and women. They all look great. And here we're gonna make it easy. Go to MeUndies.com/slash/retandlink and get twenty percent off your first order and free shipping. Save even more when you buy a pack of them. They guarantee you're gonna be happy with them or your first pair is free. And once you feel MeUndies on your body, you're never going back. All right, to get that 20% off, make sure you go to MeUndies.com slash Rhett and Link. I I think it's gonna become pretty clear as we take this trip down memory lane that um, I know for me, it's gonna be a case study in anxiety. So I'm gonna go ahead and throw that out there. That's what sports has meant to me over the years. So, and I'm ready to unpack that a little bit. And I will say uh, that sports more or less defined my childhood, definitely my adolescence Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Well, growing up uh, in the time and place we did, so in a little town of Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, um, and I'm trying to figure out what, what year this was. I mean, we're talking the late 80s being like starting to get into recreation sports. Yeah, everybody mid, mid to late 80s. Everybody, you know, if you were a kid, it was automatic. You were expected to play recreation sports. And the biggest one in Bowie's Creek was soccer. Baseball was big, but it was interesting how big soccer was. I think it was the start of that recreation soccer boom. But I started playing from like seven years old. Oh yeah. So even maybe even before I met you. And I I did not play, you know, we moved to North Carolina in 84. I did not play soccer when we lived out in California, but you know, it's interesting cuz we both got involved and we were both on the same team. We had a weird thing going because I'm a little older than you and they were the same year in school. So we Your would be on the October, my birthday's the next June. Right. So. so we'd be on the same team one year and then I would age up. Yeah, and so there was this alternating thing, but I, the first coach that I remember is Tony. Oh yeah, Coach Tony. I can't remember his last name right now, but he was this uh, very charismatic, super friendly, awesome guy. He's a black guy with Jerry curl. Yeah, he he had a Jerry curl at a time when I mean it was like I a guess di- it, was it was a, a little di- bit out of style. It was a dying art form, but it was still it wasn't just like crazy unacceptable at the at that point. It was just like oh, this is still almost in style. We never thought anything of it. No, I mean, but it was very much like Sam Samuel Jackson in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but it like, also had a mullet built into it. I, I remember that specifically, a Jerry Curl that went into a mullet. And he called me Link Sausage. Well, of course, it's creative. So, he, and he had nicknames for everybody. So, that was a good first um, first exposure to organized sports for me. I, But, uh, I mean, I liked soccer. I think it was when I got into baseball that it started to, to get into the problems. But you had some problems on the soccer field, right? Yeah, well. Like social problems. Well, no, this is actually, you may have heard, and and let me just give you a little disclaimer here. We're gonna gonna tell a number of stories on the show this week, and we're probably going to tell some stories that you may have heard if you've been listening to us in the various forms that we have told these stories in the past. We've been doing this for a long time, so we may end up repeating some things. But so, but you know, you're gonna hear them in their proper context. So the first fight I ever got in was at the recreational soccer field, which I might add was sloped at at least 10 degrees. I mean, this thing was so sloped and we played sideways on it. So if you kick the ball straight towards the goal, it would roll down the hill out of bounds. Yeah, you had you had to, that's why they started bending 
soccer balls, you know, like bend to, it like Beckham. To counteract the yeah, slope I in the Bowie's Creek field. Yeah, it originated there on, uh, our, on our field. But there was a guy, John Carson, shout out to John Carson, I don't know where you're at. Don't even know if you're still alive, hope you are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, John Carson was on our team. He was a big guy. He was a big guy, and let's just face I don't remember him being a nice guy No, either. he was a jerk. I'm sure he's you nice know, now if he's still alive, right, but right. then, <laughs> He wasn't nice. Well, he was even not. He was alive. He was not a nice guy back when he was a kid. But that, you know, lots of kids had issues and weren't very nice. But we were friends at the time, and John Carson was picking on you. And we were doing that drill where you're standing in a line. I don't know exactly what you learn in this drill, but they set the ball up at the top of the box, and you just run up there one at a time and kick it in. No goalie. Can you kick it in an empty goal? That's the skill we all need to know. Yeah, you gotta set the bar somewhere. But we're standing there and John Carson starts making fun of you. I honestly don't remember what he was saying, but. I don't, I don't remember any of this, by the way, but I'm, uh, except through you retelling it. And uh, he was picking on you and you weren't doing anything about it. Now we've established before that you're not, <laughs> you're not a meek individual these days, uh, but, as a child, you were. And so you didn't do a lot of standing up for yourself. Well, he was three times my size, too. He was pretty slow, though. But I was big. You know, I was tall, at least. Yeah. I wasn't big around, but I was tall. <laughs> and I just, I remember, the only thing I remember is just looking at him and punching him. The first th punch I've ever thrown, I ever threw. And I punched him in the gut. <laughs> right in the stomach. And he was a rotund fellow. Do you remember saying anything to him before you punched no, him? No, it's You're completely like, caught him off guard. That's called a sucker punch. A sucker punch right in the stomach, it sunk in and, into his, uh, I remember the light blue Bowie's Creek uniform. Oh yeah. And then popped right back out and he just got this look on his face, it was like a delayed reaction and he just sort of looked at me and he put his hands on his stomach and then he walked away. And he hmm. sat down and never made fun of you again. Thank you, Rhett. I, and he still doesn't make fun of me now. No, he doesn't. He, and just think, he'd probably be here right now at the table. Apologizing. Making fun of me if you hadn't punched him back then. He'd still be here, he'd be like the monkey on my back making fun of me constantly, you know? Think about how my life would be different. I, I, I doubt that's true. Um, you talk about those jerseys. If you, you can go to my house right now, I have all of my Bowie's Creek jerseys. Not surprised. And you know, I was, I was number five or number 55 and I kept them and Lando sleeps in them now. I mean, soccer was an important part of my you life. You had to be five or 55? Yeah, that was my lucky number, five. So I got, you know, you got to cho choose your number and I always try to choose five in it. Interesting. Um, and I kept all of them and now he's, Lando sleeps in them. Um, and as he continues to get a little older, he can sleep in the larger ones because I, 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 they get bigger as I got older. And I, I just somehow kept them because it was special to me that time in my life, even though I didn't particularly enjoyed it, enjoy it, soccer stayed with me. Now baseball, as I said on the other hand, was not good. Um, I, I distinctly remember being a Yankee, you were on this team wearing the black and gray outfit and <laughs> outfit, it's called a uniform. Yeah, we call it a uniform where I'm from, which and, is the same um, place you're from. Ken Crow was the coach and I could not hit the ball. I cannot find, I cannot keep my eye on the ball. So I just remember, swinging and there's so much anxiety because everyone's looking at you trying to hit this ball. It's not like soccer where the ball goes to you and then you hit it somebody else and then it comes back and you kick it. Yeah, there's a lot of focus on yeah, you. There's a lot the of batter. focus. People are actually saying batter, batter, batter. That, that's could, you if you're the batter. I could not focus on the ball. I figured out 
if I get beamed, if I get hit with the ball by the pitcher, because we had a pitcher by this point, you get on first base. And the only way I got on base, no exaggeration, the entire season was by getting beamed. Hold on, but this is a bold, this is a bold move. I mean. I would, I would stand really close to the plate so that I would get beamed. That's crazy. It's sad, isn't it? Well, it's because just. Because I would swing and it would be like guessing on a test. I, I never understood that I could actually watch the ball fly out of the pitcher's hand and then make contact with it with the bat. Like I never learned how to do that and I just thought because I'm most not kids, as lucky as everybody else. Most, most kids are scared. I was even scared of the ball. I didn't like the, that hard ball going by me like that. I was frightened of it. And I had long arms. I could stand I was away. More, I was more afraid of the embarrassment of striking out. I struck out so much that I got fed up. And then I was like, "Bring it on! Hit me! Just hit me! I got! I'm wearing a helmet." I don't recall this. Did you? Did this ever work? Did you get on? I base? never discussed it with anyone. I just did it. And yeah, I got on base. Mm. And sometimes I would get to second base. I don't recall ever getting to home base. I wasn't good at any aspect of this sport. But I, I remember in the outfield, I would, I would, they put me in what? Which is the one where they don't hit the ball to you? Right field. Right field is the least likely well, to that's get wh- any, that, any play. That's where I was, and I literally prayed to God that they would, the ball would not be hit to me. Like if you, if you like had spy glasses and you looked at me out in the outfield, you'd see my lips moving. Like that's how strongly I felt about baseball. I did not want. You know, I didn't want to be put on the spot. In well, any way. you know, it's interesting. No because confidence. I feel like I had this the strong feelings, also as strong feelings as you did, to not be embarrassed and all this. But the way I didn't want to be embarrassed is by not succeeding, not doing something. It wasn't necessarily, well, don't hit me the ball. It's just like if they hit me the ball, I better catch it. But it wasn't pray I don't get the ball hit to me. Yeah, I just didn't. I didn't want to pass the test. I didn't want to be tested. Now you said Ken Crow, the coach, the yeah. coach, and there was another guy that was with him. There was a, there was a pair of guys that came in like they they came in like in the in the night and then they left again. You know, like Tony yeah. was there for years. Benny Enzor also coaches for years. Ken Crow and this guy they were in for like a year and they were gone. But did you know the other thing that they? I just remember this as we were kind of thinking about this today. The other thing that Ken Crow and this other guy did was karate. They he seemed karate. like a military guy. They got a crew cut, a crew, red, red hair. hair. Red hair, crew cut. You know those guys are always into martial arts, right? He didn't teach me karate, I didn't take that. Well, they I said. Might, I might would have uh, excelled at it. No, they, they said karate is being taught. And I was like, well, I need to learn how to do that. I gotta defend Link against John Carson. <laughs> so I went and took the class <laughs> and I remember I made it to Yellow Belt, which you know, most of you probably know, that's not real far, that's like a couple of weeks, maybe. Okay. But the thing that happened is, you gotta understand, we come from uh, Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, a very conservative uh, part of the country. And Ken Crow started talking about like the mindset of karate, like getting into like the dragon and stuff. Getting into the dragon? I don't even remember what it was about. All I know is it kinda got into some Eastern philosophy. And at that point, kids started talking to their parents about this dragon fellow King Crow had to fly next away. Next thing you know, King Crow was gone. Oh. And they stopped with the yellow belt. We don't want to know about these, this Eastern stuff unless it's Eastern North Carolina barbecue, you know. So King Crow came in, he left. Wait, <laughs> King Crow, if you're out there, if you're still alive. <laughs> this is, you know what? We should just stop the whole thing about whether or not they're still alive. 
Right. Because, you know, because what yeah. if they're not? Right. Then they well, find they're not listening, for one. That's true. And so it's like talking to no one yeah, it is. who's hearing. We should just which stop is the whole bit. There's lots of people who are listening. We should probably talk to them. Yeah, we should. Um, when did you get into basketball? I got into basketball, uh, you know, on my own. We had a basketball goal at home even when I was in California. And then we had a basketball goal that my dad uh, took pains to build on the road, you you remember this, we let it on the dead end, and he just built the basketball goal on the road, so I played uh, with my brother. There was no opportunity to play. There was no rec league basketball. Until we got into middle, middle school. school. Yeah, and that was Coach Royal, who was our, our history coach and PE coach, was your basketball His, coach. You said history coach. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, boy, what's the capital? <laughs> what? How long was the year of the War of 1812? Come on now, Come on. <laughs> Answer me now. <laughs> he was not. He was a history teacher. <laughs> Let me. But he was a PE coach. Yeah, he was. Well, I call him PE teacher. Yeah, for that's that too. True. But he was the basketball coach, and he was the soccer coach. Now, the, the thing I remember about Coach Royal with um, coaching soccer in middle school was you were the goalie. I was, and I was a defensive man. Uh-huh. And if he got mad at us during a game, he would clear the bench, and he would do this in basketball too, but in soccer, there's 11 people on a team. Yeah, that's he big. Would, he would take the whole team out. He didn't take me out, I will say put, that. Because there was no other goalie? Well, because the goalie has like gloves, and you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's Not weird to change the goalie. He would out. take 10 of us out then, and bring in the 10 people who were on the sidelines, like the- It's a good strategy. And just to prove fresh the Fresh legs, point, you call that fresh legs. Just to prove the point that we sucked, and we needed to be out of there. And then, of course, they would we would start losing, because we would be decimated. By the bench, yeah, and he, and he and he did uh, this very same thing in basketball. He also had a thing that he did when he got really upset uh, at PE, but also in basketball, where he would I think throw I the ball oh. at the backboard. Oh, like trying to break it. He, we would all be glass. sitting there, and he would throw the ball. He would be standing like at the three point line, and he would. I'm so mad I could just. And he would just throw the ball at the backboard, and it would bounce back, and he'd catch it. What? And we'd be like, whoa, that was impressive. And that was the whole point. Did he ever kick a soccer ball the, through a V in a tree? The, probably. The point was not to scare us, the point was to impress us. And let me tell you, I don't know what- If I can do this, <laughs> you can remember how long the World of 1812 was. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, so yeah, he, he adopted the same strategy for basketball, but the thing I remember about my eighth grade year of basketball was, now you know anything about Bowie's Creek, you know that that's the home of Campbell University, the Fighting Camels, the colors are orange and black. And the gym where the Camels played was, you know, like a nine iron away from the where we, the demons played. We were the demons, the Blue yeah. Street Demons. Blue and gold. Blue and gold demons. And the, the whole court, of course, is blue and gold. Well, one year Coach Royal comes in there and says, guys, I am very excited to let you know that this year we have new uniforms. Hmm. And you know what? They are the Campbell University uniforms. <laughs> so you did, cu- at this point, you don't know what to say. Couple of things to note. A, these were university uniforms for people who were in college and we were in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they're oversized. So they're a little big. Now I was a big guy, so I actually got one that fit. But half of the guys had this uniform just falling off of them. Now it was like 1988 or whatever it was, so the shorts were still really short, but they're really big. 
And we're playing in these orange and black, well really orange, they were orange with black writing, but they said Campbell on them. So we got some moms to get this black, they, they actually printed Bowie's Creek on a black t-shirt and then cut the black t-shirt out in a square. Oh wow. A rectangle and sewed that onto the uniform. So we played in oversized orange uniforms that had Bowie's Creek sewed over them and we played on a blue and gold court. That was eighth grade for me. <laughs> Which made my vantage point as the official scorekeeper of the girls' middle school the basketball team. The girls, they didn't get those it, uniforms. It made my vantage point, uh, it seemed like I was in the right spot. I did not have to wear a uniform at all. I could wear anything I wanted. I got into the games free, which is why I became the scorekeeper. And then I, because I wanted to be able to not pay to get into the guys' games and I could go to the away games. And How did you get roped into this? I volunteered. I was like, you know. I'd, Were you good with stats? I'm good with I'm good with uh, pencils and I'm good with um, numbers and I'm I'm willing you, and no one else wants to do it. Did you, was there a girl on the basketball team that you were interested in? No, I, I wanted to see the, I wanted to watch the uh, basketball games without paying. And I also got to it's travel. Like a, it's like a dollar to get in. I like. got to travel with the basketball team to the away games and be involved. Okay, it was your way of being involved. Way of being involved. You know, I didn't want to be a, a loser because again, it was in middle school, if you didn't play sports, okay, then you did nothing. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, well, you be in drama or, I was in band. But we didn't we didn't have drama or theater. We didn't have that. that until high school. But did you? Okay, so and I didn't want to keep score from the guys' game because I just wanted to watch it. So I kept uh, score for the girls. And uh, am I talking? Are we talking down to the the minutia, like rebounds per person? Like no, because you was, were keeping the score of the game because that was a person that had was hitting the buzzer and stuff. I was. You keeping, had a little pet. I was keeping score by player and assists. What about rebounds and fouls? Rebounds? Uh, no, but I didn't have capacity for that. You didn't keep it with rebounds. I did That's not. like, how did you know when somebody had a double double? We didn't. <laughs> Maybe we did. I don't. I'm pretty sure. If we you didn't. weren't keeping up with rebounds, then you you shouldn't have been doing that. And Coach Rowe's daughter Elizabeth, she kept score. It was a team thing, so oh, she okay. would keep score. She kept up with the rebounds, right? <laughs> she keep score for the other team by us but, but to keep the other team honest. Honest. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And it was cool because we got to meet the really cool people from the other schools, namely the scorekeepers from those schools. Not the, that's the cream of the crop. That's the top <laughs> of the so social pyramid. We had our own little identity, it was cool. Did you get free popcorn? You remember the popcorn machine? No, I didn't get free popcorn. But you do remember the popcorn machine. They would break that sucker out oh, yeah. at every basketball game. And when I think about that, that time in my life, I smell popcorn. Hmm in like locker rooms. Well does the opposite happen though? When you smell popcorn, do you start like wanting to do layups? Mm, I don't know, that's a good question. Pro then Bring some popcorn know, in here and I'll tell you. probably a no. Like when you go to the movie theater, you don't like want to put on your Fighting Camels uniform. Um, but okay, so then of course after middle school, we've got high school and high school was a bit of a breaking point for me. Not <laughs> breaking okay. point is probably the, it, it, it was a, a turning point is the word that I was looking for because it was a time in which I began to seriously consider. But hold on, you did break something. I did and I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> I began to seriously consider, am I going to be a basketball player? Yeah, well I mean you're so tall, 
and you like, had a goal in front of your house. Am I gonna play college basketball and maybe beyond that? Like, is this gonna be what my life is? And, and, and starting my freshman year and really moving in my sophomore year, it became a thing where, as we've talked about before on Your Biscuits in, in the context of another story, I would spend hours every single day during the summer when we weren't playing during the year practicing basketball. With those shoes. Strength shoes, the shoes that had a special platform on them, the big ball, which is an extra large basketball that my dad bought that gets you better with a regular size basketball. So it, the ball was, it would still go through the hoop, but it was bigger than normal. It was so like 1.5 times the size of a regular, it's called the big ball. So then when you when you used a regular ball, it was just like. Uh, no, this is so easy, the ball is smaller, which it doesn't make a like lot of sense. like peeing in the ocean. Yeah, right, um, I get maybe. And, uh, but I was I would do the AAU team thing during the summer, and you know, and my life was sort of bent towards doing this, and I took it very seriously. Now, this get to get back to what I did break. I, I took this very seriously, this responsibility to be a basketball star. I took it very seriously, and my dad would film the game so that we could send them off to potential colleges for recruiting. Right, and this is by like. Junior year, and course. I think that this is probably caught on tape, but uh, hopefully that tape is is gone. But we were playing at Triton. Remember Triton, the big rivalry, sure, to uh, rival to Harness Central, and it's a close game. And Coach Gage takes me out of the game. I, I I may have made a mistake or got a foul or something like that, but it was like a crucial time in the game. He takes me out of the game, and I look at him and I just kick the bottom of the bleachers. Just I, I was there, I remember seeing you go to the, uh, back to the bench, and it, from my vantage point again, this it was, I would describe it as a tantrum. Yeah, I, I was pitching a fit. You kicked the bleachers. I kicked the bleachers and then I sat down, and as I sat down, I was like, well, I did something. <laughs> <I've> <laughs> I done, did something? I, I've done something, I've done something to my toe. <laughs> But of course, a couple of minutes later, he's like, Rick, get back in there. I get back in there and I'm hurting. I'm having trouble getting around, but I'm like, we gotta win this game. I think we actually lost. I think I missed a shot at the end for Ooh. a chance to win. It's it's a sad story. Uh, but w after that game, I was like, damn, my toe really hurts. He said, we'll take you to the infirmary tomorrow. You know, We could go to the infirmary on campus at Campbell. Because he worked there. Because he worked there. For free, and they take and they take. Did me you in. keep your shoe on until then, or did you take nope. your shoe off that night? Took and it look off. At it? I took it off, and it was a little bit swollen, but it wasn't black and blue. But long story short, I had split the bone right down the middle, what? The, the big toe bone. Now it, it just cracked. Lengthwise, yeah, lengthwise it had cracked, but it was still intact, and that's why it wasn't like super, super painful. And I ended up playing the rest of the season. They just put like a little weird thing around it. And you got you could go ahead and tell them about your records or the record. Because I know you want to. Oh, I wasn't even going to share that. But yes, I will say that uh, <laughs> unless it has been broken this year, and I don't think it has, uh, going on 19 years now, Link, I hold the single season three-point record uh, for most three-pointers made in a season, 77 my senior year I made. Now, I will say, so. And I, you tie someone with number of toes broken in a game probably. Right, yeah, one one total toe. Probably, somebody's probably broken more. Yeah, that's true. You probably so, don't own that one. Uh, if you're out there, if you're playing basketball at Harness Central, I give you every opportunity to, to beat that record. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> but so I took this very seriously, but I was thinking there's another story that involves both of us, which is an indication of how towards the end of my time in high school, mm -hmm. we got involved in other things. We started a band 
the wax paper dogs, and then we suddenly thought we were gonna be rock stars. And we were making videos with that camera that your dad was filming you for recruiting. We would take that right. video. So we thought we wanted to be filmmakers or like exactly. rock stars. So your your commitment was waning. It was waning, but we were still a really good basketball team, and I was still a really good player. And we were in the state playoffs, first round of the state playoffs. I can't remember who we were playing, but we were playing the team that would go on to win the state championship. Spoiler alert: we lost the game. But here's what happened: we. Um, You're gonna blame me for you losing the game. Is that what this story is gonna be? The game was at that that night at like six or seven o'clock, right? And of course, school gets out about three p.m. And this is senior year, so we both got our licenses. We can we can drive somehow. I now I'm gonna say that this was your idea. <laughs> okay. We're like, you know, it was getting warmer because it was, it was like March. It, no, it wasn't even March because the state playoffs would have been in February. It was February, but, but it was, it a, was sunny a really day. warm day. A warm day in February. And we love to swim in the river. And so, first warm day of the year, we haven't been swimming in the river right. like all fall and winter. It's like, well, I think we should go today to the Cape Fear River and swim. Let's let's break that one open. Between the game, between the end of school and the game. Yeah. And let's not go to the normal spot where we swim. Let's go to a place that we've never been. Let's go up the river into the woods and drive up to the little creek that comes off of the side of the river. Yeah, so. Of the Cape Fear River. Let's not only go swimming, let's get lost first. Right. Um, and even though it was warm, the water was nowhere near swimmable it's temperature. It's February in North Carolina. And uh, I remember, you know, this is a story in and of itself, but we jumped in and the water was so frigid that all the blood goes to your uh, vital organs, and it moves so quickly that you can no longer like paddle with your arms or walk with your legs. You can't move yeah. your extremities. Well, I was standing behind you and you jumped in, thinking, I was like, oh, he's gonna jump in, it's two or three feet deep. Link completely goes under, and he's completely submerged, and then I just jump in after him, and here we are swimming for our lives to make it across to an, an island that was actually in the middle of the river between uh, this this creek and the river. And we nearly died because I, I could not move my arms to crawl out of the water. We expended swim. we expended a lot of energy just getting out of the water, and then for the yeah, but next. But then we got it off. We yeah, but we made it across two hours to an island. No doubt, this was two hours later. We were going up this island, crossing over successive areas of the river. These little, um, you know, shoot offs of the river, offshoots of the river, and. It was getting to the point where we didn't have a watch and we didn't have cell phones. Nobody had any of that kind of thing. No, and no water, by the way, or food or shirts because we took those off before we <laughs> yeah, jumped in. Yeah. We finally make it back to the car, at which we look at the, the the clock inside your truck and realize I've got like an hour before I've got to be warming Playing up the for game. the game, the state playoffs. <laughs> and, and then that was when we had a little trouble getting out of there, right? We were saying, yeah. Yeah. You ruined, you You tried to back up, we had Blew the door it. open, you ruined your speaker. Anyway, I expended all the energy that I had built up uh, for the day trying to save my life in the river and uh, subsequently had a poor performance in the state playoffs. And uh, I'll, yeah, ne if, I'll never forgive you for if that. You would have, if, but we didn't, I don't think we ever told anybody that that's where you, we, you'd been, <laughs> you know? It just looks a little sluggish. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll own that one. I think it, you know, it might have set the trajectory of our uh, our lives and careers. We so. may not be here if we hadn't gone Jumped to the river. That think about water. it. We would have won that game. We would have gone on to win the state playoffs. Oh, would you? I'd be in the NBA right now. <laughs> water boy. 
I could be a scorekeeper for the NBA. You could, I, you could. I mean, that'd be pretty sweet getting into the NBA games for free. You gotta keep up with rebounds though. Oh. You mm. really got, they probably just have a rebound guy, actually. Oh, right, could right. Be that I could guy. specialize, I could be that guy. Yeah. Um, soccer for me in high school uh, was still the thing that was part of my identity. You know, again, I didn't wanna be in the drama club and I wasn't gonna keep doing band. So I was good enough at soccer, so I did that. As a freshman, they had a hazing technique, I guess is the only way to describe it, where the upperclassmen would put all the freshmen in their place. Mm. And, and this was before the days where bullying was such a hot topic, uh, uh, yeah. and hazing was, I mean, this basically happened every school in America, every sport. And you knew joining the soccer team that at a certain point there was gonna be one day that you went to practice and all of the upperclassmen were going to haze you on the cross country course. Mm -hmm. um, before every soccer practice, at the beginning of every soccer practice was running the three mile cross country course. So you'd run the three miles. It's like around a farm. Around a farm uh, and a couple of country roads and then come back and have your an hour and a half of like doing your soccer drills mm -hmm. while John Carson sat there holding his belly. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he didn't he go wasn't in the Central. picture anymore. Um, and I remember the day. I remember we, you know, you'd start the cross country course, and the upperclassmen, a lot of them were better runners than me, and they would always be ahead of me. But then I noticed that they were all hanging back, and um, come to find out, they went through a shortcut through a field, so that when we went the long way around, it was like a western. Uh, a scene in a Western movie. We're running on a dirt road, yeah, and we come in over, Umbros, just like every Western movie. Yeah, I did have on underwear, and we were Umbros. Oh, um, I was thinking about Coach Brando. Oh. He wore Umbros with nothing okay. underneath. Uh, I remember running and kind of coming up a hill, and as I started to rise on the horizon, I saw all the upperclassmen lined up, um, like prepared for war across the dirt road. Can't and get I, by. And I remember turning to a couple of my friends who were freshmen, Michael Juby, I'm like, this is it. Today's the day, this is the moment. And so, I just kept, you just kept running. You just run right, you know, the running certainly slows to kind of like a trot and then a walk. We're just walking right up to them and say, all right guys, I don't know what they're gonna do exactly. Is they're gonna just like start pummeling us or something? And um, I think it was uh, Jody Yarbrough oh, yeah. who, um, who engaged with me. <laughs> and what that meant specifically was turning me around and giving me the most atomic wedgie I've ever known possible in the history of man. Did he and pull it over your head? That's what we were doing, that's what they were doing to all of us. It wasn't punching, it wasn't hitting, it was, so it was innocent in a certain way that we they were all getting wedgies. But he was giving me, he grabbed my underwear from the back of my pants, if you need to understand the anatomy of a wedgie, and then he just pulled and pulled, and I remember bouncing off the ground, like a, a foot off the ground, every time he would yank, and he and it didn't stop, just kept going. The wedgie went on forever until I heard a huge rip. Ooh, <laughs> and it was, it wasn't a fart. It was my pants. It, it was, wasn't your it was skin, though. It underwear. wasn't your actual legs. <laughs> it wasn't my your actual body coming apart. My groin coming apart like your toe. That would have been bad. Uh, it was the waistband of my underwear, and so then I somehow they like it ripped, and then I turned around, 
and he had him in his hand like a trophy like, like he had like a scalp somebody like he scalped somebody yeah. Yeah, kind of a thing. Yeah. And then he throws them in the dirt, and then I pick them up, and I- Picked them up? What do you mean? I picked them up. They were my underwear. I picked them up. But they were ruined. Well, I picked them up. I mean, I'm not gonna litter. And then I I'm didn't I'm sure have, that's what you were thinking. I didn't have pockets, and I, I ran the rest of the way in with my underwear in my hand. Uh, listen, in that case, my, my pride is on the line. I'm leaving the underwear in the field, and the farmer can take those and use them as fertilizer. Well, let me tell you. I still have those underwear. You are kidding. I'm not kidding. Now, okay, since I moved to LA, I'm I'm certain that I've thrown them away. But I know that when I went home from college, like back to my mom's house and when I was gonna get married and all that stuff, I still had them and I kept them. As a keepsake. As a keepsake in a box with my, <laughs> this makes it even more appropriate, with my Science Olympiad medals <laughs> and my Science Project oh, uh, ribbons. And my my ripped up your high school underwear. experience. In a, it was in a, a capsule. Right, it was a rite of passage, and it was it was in that box, that's that keepsake box, and uh, because that's when I became a soccer player. Now I know for a fact that while you may have received this this punishment, as you matured in uh, high school, you became a jerk. Mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm. in, in this sense, like you became the guy on the soccer team that the underclassmen didn't want to cross when it came to this kind of thing. Yeah, not, I, not, not because, I mean, you're, you, were, you weren't a big guy, you were about the same size as you are right now. Yeah. But. I was mean. You were mean. Well, I, I felt like, you know, if I endured that, then I get my turn as an upperclassman to, to uh, inflict that same love, that, that memory on someone else. And like I said, it was meaningful to me, but yeah, I mean, I wanted my retribution. And so I gave my fair share of wedgies. Um, it didn't go beyond that. It that was the extent of it. That though. was the extent of it. Um, but And I, you know what, I will say, I think that if quote unquote hazing was limited to that kind of thing, there wouldn't be this big issue that it is. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It, it, it's, it's the fact that it's, it's taken to places that are just over the line and inappropriate. Giving somebody a wedgie, I mean, come on now, you know. Let, let let's have let's have a little fun here, but uh, it's it's just it becomes abuse, right? So I was a jerk, but it wasn't you know it wasn't anything like that. And um, I I did have my you know that wasn't my only reputation. I was I was also uh, you know I had my accolades. I had well okay, I had the one game right. Yeah. I had uh, over the course of my soccer career. I started playing a little bit sophomore year, but junior year is is when I got I got some points on the board. Because you first you've been playing defense, and well, I've been playing the bench. Well, you didn't play a lot, but then when you did get to play, a lot yeah, of times Ch it was defense. Charles Charles Fleming was the left was the right wing, and um, he would get winded, and so I would come in off the bench and replace him. And you remember this game? You were in the stands. Well, I came to all the games. I you know I I came to support my friend Link as he played. And yeah, I, I can tell you, we sat together, all of us who were not on the soccer team, which usually was me and like Chris Gardner and uh, like a bunch of girls, you know, everybody else seemed like was on the soccer team. And you, you got in there, and I will say that 
I wish that, it, that these two things had coincided. I wish it had coincided with the period of time in which my dad was the announcer for the soccer games. Yeah. But my dad got fired from being the announcer for the soccer games because all he would do the entire time he was announcing is talk about you. Whenever I was in the game, he would give running commentary of only me. He was like, the, the Linkster gets the ball, Link Arena. He did, because it was when the SNL thing was popular. <laughs> but he got fired. But he, because he would also talk about, he would get Coach Brandle to put you in. How about putting the Linkster in? He would give advice. He was the announcer. He's supposed to be announcing like special events and like the score. Right. So they fired him after a few games. But anyway. How about putting the Linkster in, Coach? So How about wearing some underwear, Coach? Those two things didn't coincide. But I do remember this game. They put you in, and within minutes of you getting in there. Right. It was a corner kick, and... um. I remember thinking, all right, I'm I'm on the far side of this of this corner kick. When this thing comes in, I just gotta, you know, I anticipate, just got, be ready. I remember closing my eyes and flailing my legs, and I remember feeling. Oh, the, more credit! You got to give yourself okay, more credit yeah. than that. I my the ball was coming in, and I was just like, I'm just gonna throw my my foot up there, and it made perfect contact with my left foot, which I'm right footed, and uh, it just zinged right in there. I. First goal ever scored in high school history by me, and, and I, we went nuts. I also went nuts. We went we in the in the stands. We I mean, of course, there's not a lot of people there. It is a soccer game <laughs> in, in in North right. Carolina, but we were going nuts because they put you in there and you scored first score ever. And I was you would have thought that I had scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. Like I was running around. I didn't take my shirt off, but I was mm. running around and. Uh, giving everybody five and just like, like you know, just exultation. And then it was, um, not three it, minutes later. It was not three minutes later. There was, you know, we were we were pushing in on the, on the defenders, and the ball ekes through, and there's like this, a scrum I would call it, hmm. like people just kind of scruffing around right in front of the the goal line, and the goalie didn't have the ball. He had it for a second, and he lost it. And then I realized that the ball is at my feet. And I walked it into the goal. I didn't even kick it. But but no. When and then, but the last thing, foot that touched it was your left foot. Oh yeah, yeah. I walked it and it was my left foot. It was like I'm not even left footed. And I've kicked. I've two, made two, two goals, goals with my left foot. The only goals you ever scored, by the way. I never scored another goal. But I had those. That was my. That was my accolade. That was my game. The we were two, we were freaking out. Two goals, one game, one foot, the off foot, the left foot, and I went into celebration mode again. And I'll never forget uh, Josh Young, who was the a friend of mine and the forward at the time, striker. Um, you know, we get back and we're setting up after I score that second goal, and he leans over and he says, "When you score a goal." You should act like you meant to do it afterward. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the way that I was celebrating, uh, I, the, everyone could see the look of surprise on my face oh, as I gosh. ran around, like, "Did you see that? I scored!" You know, kind of a thing. Uh, Josh so, Young, a funny uh, uh, story about him. Eighth grade, I'm playing baseball and uh -huh. I hit a triple, and he's playing third base. And he was a little guy. He yeah. was super little when he was in eighth grade. And yeah. Of course, this we're playing against Andrew, so I didn't really know him. And it, he's looking at me, and I say, "What are you looking at?" And he says, "I'm trying to figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> he was so sharp, you know. And I, I had nothing after that. You had nothing. I had nothing. I had no comebacks. And, but you had to stand there on the base beside like, him. That little guy got me. 
he became a great friend uh, later. A great friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, he taught me a lesson. Yeah, now, when you score a goal, act like you meant to do it. I never played soccer in high school. Uh, it was mostly basketball, but I do have a cross country. I, I was on the cross country team because Coach Gage was the cross country coach, and so he asked us to run cross country as a way to stay in shape in the off season. All right, cross country, in my opinion, is like soccer without having to do any of the soccer. Because I ran your course, I got a wedgie on it. And then- I got I no actually, wedgies. Then actually I spent another hour and a half doing the actual sport. But it, So you would just do the course and that was your sport. But- Did you get a wedgie? I wanna give you some perspective here of how I'd actually do that. Because it wasn't that difficult to run the 3.1 miles, you know, the 5K. But even during the meets, the competitive meets, the parents would come out, mm-hmm. they would all sit in the stands, because you would finish the race. In the football stadium. In the football stadium. Football field. Field, yeah, not really a stadium. <laughs> and go around that last 400 meters so everybody could kind of see you and you come across the finish line. Mm-hmm. I was so concerned about how I was coming across, I didn't really care about winning. And you don't mean coming across the finish line, you mean how you How looked. I looked finishing. So what I would do is I would take off real fast. I'd get out there and I'd be like, this isn't worth it. You know, what was it for a trophy? What is it, well, I'm out here because Coach Gage wants me to be out here. And I would end up walking during the middle of the meet. And they pretty much let anybody on the cross country team. So even when I would run and then I would walk, there would still be some people who were kind of in the same pack with me. And then we would get to- Well, your legs are so long, your your walk gait. True. It could be I someone's can, I, run. I can keep up pretty quickly. So we get to the very end of it and I'm like, here's the, here's the part where we're coming in and we've got the, the, the parents and everybody watching. And I would get right to the football field and I would turn it on and I would just sprint that last 400 meters and I would pass like 12 people. <laughs> and they'd be like, boy, that guy's coming out of nowhere. Just just, in that, just to give you some perspective that, I mean, I'm not prescribing this. But I'm then not saying what, that you should do this. Yeah, Cause but, I was still like not anywhere near the the front. Right, but so what were the spectators thinking? What were your parents thinking? Yeah, your parents- He knew, finishes strong. Well, it's it. The, if they weren't your parents and they didn't no, remember dad, you starting, they would probably think that guy just that guy's amazing. He just showed up late. He must have been delayed. Yeah. If he if he had started the race on time, my dad he knew been the gold medal. My dad knew exactly what I was doing. He says you're not running in the middle, and then you're running at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't impressing my dad. He was smart enough to know what. <laughs> but that know. didn't change your approach. No, I kept it for the whole season. I you, never ran without stopping. The one other sport that I did play uh, my senior year was golf, where there was a golf team. And uh, the thing I had observed uh, from our friends who were on the golf team, is like, these guys are never in class. You know, golf season rolls around, these guys get out early. And when they play a golf match that day, they, they it takes so long to play golf, they're gone all day. I mean, this is this is the life and I like playing golf. <laughs> so I wasn't very good at golf, but I, was, I, I knew uh, Coach Coleman, Johnny mm-hmm. Coleman, Jimmy Coleman, well enough to kind of, you know, kind of talk my way onto the team. He was a, the father of a friend. Okay, so. And uh, they let me play in one actual match. Because I, I was always on the rotation squad, which you know you didn't get to play unless somebody was hurt. But you got to go and kind of drive around. But they let me play and actually keep my score one time. And I can't remember which course we're playing at, but we're playing at this uh, on a hole where there's this huge dog leg to the right, so far to the right that you can actually drive over the hole dog leg and drive straight from the tee to the green if you can hit it a long way. And the one thing I could so do. So you could, you mean, you, you could, could bypass dri- the whole hole because it was shaped like an drive a L. shortcut. Yeah, drive a shortcut. And to the green. Take the corner off. Yeah, of and I, all I could do was hit it a long way because I was so tall and I could swing. 
So I was like, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it. Maybe I'll get a hole in one on a par four. Who knows? And, uh, <laughs> and coach, you probably needed it. Coach right? Coleman and the coach from the other team were standing in the tee box behind us. Okay. Just off of the side of the cart path. It's kind of hard to understand the visuals here, but basically what happened was is I aimed towards the green that was basically on the other side of some trees and I just, I absolutely ripped it. <laughs> but I hit it a little bit too far to the left, didn't hurt, hit it far enough to the right, and I hit the sign for the hole, the hole that says like, <laughs> hole so like, 10. Like three feet in front of you? Uh, no, it was like one tee box down in front, so okay. it, you know, probably 20, maybe 30 feet away. I hit that thing, and I knocked the crap out of this ball. The ball deflects directly back at eye level oh. and goes right in between the two coaches who were standing right next to each other. <laughs> it went right between their two heads, and it, if it had have hit one of them, it would have killed them, or it would have seriously injured them. Man. So the, the only, this is like the well, only opportunity happens, I ever had. When that happens, what what do you say? Well, four, four is too late. <laughs> oh, well, gosh. everybody started laughing. And then I just hit it. I, I didn't go back and hit it again. I, I just hit another ball because I was <laughs> OB, you know, starting two behind. Oh, so that, that's my golfing. That's my golfing peak. No, no records were set. If I had killed one of the coaches or two coaches in one, that would have been a record. But that's where you learned about tobacco. Yeah, I was also, this has got to give some context here. This is Eastern North Carolina. I actually had my first experience with with uh, dip tobacco from they, the golf team. They did that on the golf team. They had mint, they had mint flavored tobacco. They're like, you should try this. Was that Jody Yarbrough? He was, he was probably, a- he was probably partially responsible. The, but by the mean? time I was playing, you know, I was a senior, so oh. it, it was it had been passed down. You know, they all did it. Everybody Didn't that make did you it. sick? the The mint flavor wasn't as strong. We weren't doing skull out there. At least I wasn't. Oh, but uh, yeah. So I had a little little bit of a habit, which sounds crazy for people to hear that. That like we did we did dip, but you got to understand that everybody on the golf team was doing it, and I did it for a little bit and realized this is this is a this is a habit that needs to break. So it didn't last past golf season. Yeah, that's good because uh, you don't really pull the ladies with. I guess you could in yeah, our high well, school. Yeah, back in the day, you could maybe. I, you know, I think. I mean, after that, in terms of organized sports, I mean, what you know, I did. I certainly wasn't going to play soccer in in college. I, I did move to a defensive position where I wasn't able to score with my left foot by sheer flukes, but uh, it just wasn't my thing. Yeah, and and you let go of the basketball thing. Yeah even though you could have played basketball and instead we both went to NC State and kind of put it behind us. There was no more organized sports for me since then. I think um, I played Frisbee golf with Todd Smith in college. That can be organized um, by a small group. Like we would, we'd organize meeting up <laughs> and then we would play. Um, and I should get back into that. Like that. There's, I don't a, know if there's a course around here. But we never did like the ultimate frisbee thing, which was like no. big I played. In some I played a, a little intramural basketball and that kind of thing. But it was, you know, not a lot of sports happened. And so for me, it wasn't until we had kids, yeah, that that sports started become back a, into the a, picture, a, a part of our lives again. Right. Um, back in North Carolina, before we moved out here, they had 
intramural basketball, and I was like, okay, Chrissy, let's get let's get the kids involved in that. So Lily got involved in uh, intramural basketball, and then the next year, I mean, she didn't love it, but she did it, and it was a good learning experience. So the next year, we got Lincoln to do it, and I guess, let's see. I mean, he, he was like the, on the youngest team, so we're talking six or seven years old, so mm-hmm. just getting started. And we get up that morning for the first game, and he's just upset. He's refusing to go. I'm like, well, son, I, I, you know, I didn't want to push him too hard because of all of my experiences, but I, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't get him to articulate why he didn't want to go. And then finally, finally, he's like, I want to wear pants. It's like, what? <laughs> he's like, I want to wear pants. I don't want to wear shorts because they had a uniform. Which yeah. was usually has shorts. It yeah, had shorts and a tank yeah, top. Right, that's pretty. And he said, "Common." He was hung up on the shorts. He would not wear the shorts. We said, "Well, you want to wear pants?" He said, "Yeah." And so we put him in some. We didn't put him in jeans. We we had put him in like warm up pants. And then he's like the only kid out there who's constantly warming up. Constantly warming it's up. It's an excuse for everything, though. I'm just warming up. <laughs> If you don't do well, it's like, yeah. Oh, the game started. Yeah, so he was the kid out there in the warm-up pants, and that that solved it. We never got to the bottom of really what was going on inside of his mind. Like, it wasn't, I mean, he wears shorts now. He went a whole season as the warm-up guy. He went a whole season in just pants, and we were fine with that. Did he do well? No. But there was, um, and he was fine with not doing well. And then when he played soccer, like a year later, he wanted to wear pants for that too. And we were like, you're gonna be too hot. And we, so we, we talked him out of that. So we did get him into shorts when it came to playing soccer. Victory. And then we moved out here and there was, there was no basketball or no soccer for, for, for either one of them. Um, there's, they play baseball in Encino, it's like a big thing. But they just don't wanna do it. They don't wanna join a team. I think it's not knowing the kids and it's just intimidating yeah. to kinda get involved. And uh, I think for for me, because there was always so much anxiety, especially with, I mean, it was anxiety with soccer too. I didn't. I I can say that I never really loved it. I was just decent at it, if I want to be generous with the term. But baseball, I was very anxious, and so it's kind of like, well, if you don't want to do it, I get that because I did it, and I always wished I didn't want to do it. It's just a question of getting them involved in something. But, um, well, you know, I, it's funny because. I almost feel like there was, there was more pressure in North Carolina to get the kids involved in something. And, and also because we had done all this stuff, you feel like, well, I feel like my kids should be doing something athletic. Uh, you know, I, right. And so we did the same thing. We The same two things that you mentioned in a different order, we did recreational soccer and then we did basketball. And this is how it went, and this was just locked. We didn't do this with Shepard, Shepard's too young. Uh, soccer with lock, it was this. Whenever he got close to the ball, made contact with the ball, he would look at the sideline. And like, it, like look at you? Like look at who was watching him. Kind of like me in the end of the cross country course. Uh huh. And we're talking like a three or four year old out there and he'd get the ball and he'd run and then he'd start looking at the sideline. And, he, and you could tell he was running in a way that he wanted to look cool in the way that he was running and then he would lose the ball because you can't do that. You can't do, look cool and keep the ball. <laughs> And I was like, and I, I, we would tell him, Locke, you gotta be focused on the ball. And he was too young to really articulate what was happening, but he was so focused on what people were thinking about him 
that he was incapable of playing the game. And then we play basketball, and I was actually the assistant coach for the basketball team. I remember you got roped into that. And uh, I had to wear my shirt tucked in. Talked about that on a Good Mythical Morning at one point. But um, one of the early Good Mythical I Mornings. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, because- it, They I, told you they had to tuck like, you got to. I was like, I'm not a shirt tucker, man. I don't, I'm not that guy, I don't do that. I'm the coach that keeps his shirt untucked. Like, well, you got it, this is the standard here. So I wore, shorts and I tucked my t-shirt into him, which is hadn't done that in years. Wow. But anyway, I was a coach, uh, assistant coach. I was okay as an assistant coach. My son, on the other hand, was not great at basketball. He didn't score. And I remember there being this thing inside me that was like, you know, I'm a little embarrassed. I, I want my I want my kid to succeed at this. And I, and I, and I don't even know why, but it was all because of me. It was mm -hmm. all because of my reputation and wanting to seem like I've got a, a kid who's athletic, but that but that was the end of Locke's like organized team sports. Oh, that was thing. the whenever you whenever you found out that he couldn't score, you took him out. No, of he it. didn't care. He didn't care about it. He didn't want to do it. I look horrible as a dad. You can't do this. It's one anymore. of those things where if we're like Locke, we've got to go out of town this weekend. You're going to miss your basketball game. He'd be like, Oh, great. He didn't want to do it. Yeah. So, but then when we moved to California, because things have changed quite a bit, we moved to California and we moved pretty close to a public pool. And Jesse's like, you think we should get him? They've got like a water polo team and a dive team at this thing. And you know, what do you think he should do? I was like, well, he loves to jump off of stuff. He's already broken his arm jumping off of something. He might as, as well land in water. Yeah. And so we take him over there and and let him jump a little bit off of the board. And next thing you know, he's on the dive team. Fast forward. So that's like how long we've been out here? Four Almost years. Four years. So it's probably three years. So yeah, we probably did that about a year in. So three, fast forward three years from that point, and now he's on like a legitimate dive team. He practices five times a week. And this, this, is, this is a high level of investment here. And as soon as we finish this ear biscuit, I'm getting in the car with my family, and I'm driving through the desert to Las Vegas to a dive meet that he's going to be in for two days. Now let me let me preface this. He's ten years old, and we're as a family we're going out there. To, this diving has become this thing that he is all about, and it's so weird because I never was able to do a flip. I couldn't do a flip. Never done a flip off the diving board. I've always been big and unable to do that kind of thing. I have no insight into this sport. I can't mm. help coach. All I can do is encourage him and, and be there. But he's suddenly become like this is like the thing. He's like, Dad, I want to dive in college. I want to get a scholarship and dive in college. He's really good at it. Yeah, and he's good at it. He's naturally he's naturally good at it and he and he's and he's self motivated. He wants to do it. So now, that's in, what my in, sports have come become is going to these dive meets. In Vegas, do they dive into like a slot? <laughs> uh yeah, they do. Like it, coins? It, yeah, and you like can like a pool full you of can, you can hit the jackpot. You can. That sounds dangerous. I thought you were gonna say do they like dive into like a really shallow body of water and then charge people for it or something like that. But you went with a slot joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't think uh, Vegas was a place to take a 10 year old, but I guess if you put them in a Speedo, then it all works out. Yeah, well, that's. Did you, how did you navigate the whole Speedo thing? Because um, uh, he has to wear a Speedo. Do you have to tuck your shirt in? No, the dads do not have to tuck their shirts so in. But the dads all have to wear Speedos. No, they don't. All dads but have to wear how speedos. How did you navigate the speedo with him? Was there like a... Didn't care at all. He, he, the first thing that he had to wear was what they call jammies, which is looks like biker shorts. They, you know, tight, but they go down your leg. Okay. 
But then it's funny because there's this culture within diving and it's like if you're serious about this, mm-hmm. you wear the Speedo. And so now Locke will go to the, to the pool near our house, the public pool, and he'll wear his Speedo to go and dive. And he's like, I'm it's like, like a status symbol. I'm like, to him. Locke, you're not self conscious about this? He's like, no, dad, because that's what real divers do. And then he says, and dad, by the way, once you get up on the board and you start doing all these crazy dives, everybody's like, oh, that kid's legit. And he, of course, he can wear a Speedo. So what he's about not the shave? Does about he it. have to shave the legs? Uh, well, he's 10, so it doesn't have much of a problem with that. But I don't think that divers have to shave the legs. I don't think, I think that's a swimmer thing. I don't think it matters how quickly you enter the water. But you know, mm. I I don't know. I may I don't know. We'll find out about that. I'm sure. I think he'll be shaving his legs and his arms. But so, why do you need that for diving? Well, exactly. So you need to be th- you need to be doing your research and thinking about this as a father. You got to know what he's getting into. Well, that, but that's the thing because he's going to be like a biker, man. I went from biker shaved their legs. I remember the first time we went to a dive meet, and I was like, "Oh, is this what our weekends are going to be? I don't want to do this. I got I don't want to be." committed to this kind of thing. Right. But then the what next thing I know he's up there diving and there's like another kid that he's competing against. I'm like, oh that kid falls. I'm like I'm the 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 competitive nature that I have starts coming out and now I want him to be as good as he can at this. And he's and he's he's kinda like I was at that age, so he's self motivated. I don't have to tell him to take it seriously. He just takes it seriously on his own. And I'm a diving dad now. But it's it's interesting there's I mean there's certainly it mirrors your experience a little bit in that, okay, you found basketball, you were really good at it, your dad identified that, and he started he started laying the groundwork for you to be able to play on a collegiate level, uh, and so that conversation, even though he's only 10, like he started to say it, and so. And that's the way the people around him talk too. It isn't like, hey, Locke, I, it's not, I don't tell him, I do now, but I didn't start by saying, hey, this could be, you could do this to get a scholarship, he's ten. I don't. That's too early. But at the team he's on and the program he's in, that's how they talk about it. And so he's just he's 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 into that. He's in the he's on the right team where that is an actual possibility. Yeah. Given the type of training, right, that he's doing now. But from your perspective, I mean, do you see it kind of being a replay of uh, your own situation? And then you know, how do you navigate that as as a dad, kind of knowing? How you and your dad interacted with it, and how you know he was excited to enable that, but then at a certain point you had to break away and say, you know what, I don't want to play basketball in college, you know. So, how do you? What's your approach? Well, my approach is I think about the way that that I, you know, and you asked me a question when we did the first ever Rhett and Link only ear biscuit, and you yeah. asked me the question, you know, do you resent your dad or whatever for how he pushed you and. And I answered the same way I'll answer now, and I don't um, because I feel like there was something f- about my personality and and what I needed. I needed to succeed at something like that, even if it was just something what some people would consider as frivolous a sport. I think it actually helped shape the way I approach things, you know. And I, I don't. I don't think this is necessary for everybody. I think it's healthy for every kid to be involved in something, you know, whether it's music or some kind of art or sports or whatever it might be. I don't think it has to be sports, but to be getting better at something and focusing on something and something that's difficult and something that 
causes you to face fears. And I think that the diving thing is way more strategic than basketball ever was for me. But like as I got better and better at basketball and I, and I put work into things and I saw results, I said, I'm gonna commit this summer to getting better at this. And then the next year I was that much better and all my stats went up. I think that that mentality is something that it translates. It translates into the success uh, that I've experienced later in life, you know, being able to be successful in college, to to have a uh, to be an engineer for a little bit, even though it was a short time, to now doing the things that we're doing. I think there's just a mentality of working on something, putting effort in, and then seeing a result. Yeah, and, I, I think it's and so you know, I, it it translates right. I think it also resonated with your personality type. Um, so it was it was it translated and it resonated, you know. Or it translated because yeah. it resonated with you. So those two things. If work he's together, not, if he doesn't want to do it, if he, if, if like, now there's been a couple of times where because this is a t- difficult thing. This is there's a lot of time involved. There's been a couple of times where he's kind of wavered a little bit, and I'd be like, Locke, have you? I, you haven't been doing this for long, and I don't. I and, and his reasons for what he was upset about or whatever weren't really to do with diving. It was uh, some different issues. I've been like, Locke, I think if you quit right now, you would regret it, and he. He's more into it now, but if you know what, as he gets older and he becomes uh, more able to think about these things for himself and to make all these decisions, and he's like, "I don't want to do this." I mean, if he doesn't want to do it, we're not going to make him do it. But as he's doing it right now, I'm like, "Listen, if you're going to do this, you need to be as good as you can at it. You need to put the time in." And my instinct is that that is going to translate into other things, and it is currently resonating with him. Personally, yeah, and and maybe your challenge as a dad is to not, uh, you know, to not to push him based on your desires, but to be sensitive to his. I think for me, it's kind of the opposite. Is am I not encouraging my kids to get involved in in sports because I hated it so much, and it was always such a source of anxiety for me. So if they express they don't want to do it, I'm like, of course you don't want to do it. I didn't want to do it either. Um, but there's certainly the biggest challenge is not letting ourselves get in the way of what our kids need to be doing. But there's also finding the thing or the things that resonate with our kids because they're their own individuals. They're their own people. And we want, whether it's, you know, there's benefits from doing sports even if it's not their thing. So by the way, I feel like Christian and I are talking more intently about I think we should make them join some sort of a sports thing, organized sports for one, at least one term, just to see. Season. Just to see. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> one term. <laughs> but I think the bigger question is getting them involved in a number of things so that they can discover who they are, you know, it's what resonates. It's not it, that it, it has to be it a sport. It might be, yeah, it might be like, I wanna master this musical instrument, or it might be that I wanna paint, or I wanna draw, or I wanna be, I wanna start making videos, or I, I just feel. And, and we're certainly seeing those things. I think, you know, I, I can go ahead and check a number of those boxes, which aren't sports related, but I think it's interesting that we, you know, we, we came from a place to where those the bo- o- those the only that- thing that you could succeed in was sports, it, or, or academics, and then in but no, but think about it for a second though. In Bowie's Creek in 1985, 1986, 
you were it wasn't going to be like I'm going to be a piano player. Like that wasn't an option especially for a boy. If you were a boy, it was and I'd say even a girl, I, I your opportunity was I'm either going to be I'm going to excel at sports and including cheerleading, you know. Mm-hmm. It, that was your real opportunity and sure there were other things that you could excel at, but it was kind of those were all extracurricular, you know. It, I feel like it's just a different time. I, I, you know, to me, it wasn't the pressure of. I had pretty much come to the conclusion that Locke wasn't going to do sports. I mean, because he was, he, in my mind, kids who are really good at things these days, they start, you know, right when they're barely walking. I was like, this sports aren't going to be Locke's thing. He's going to be into something else. And this kind of things have just sort of turned out that way that he's so into this. But I, to me, I think the the. What's important is them just finding something that they can excel at. Like if the, if it involves practicing and putting time into something and then seeing a result, if kids aren't doing something like that, you know, and your kids are doing like piano lessons and other and all that other stuff, you know. Oh yeah, all that other stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I feel like our experience and where we are now in our careers certainly uh, has impacted the way that we want to help enable our kids to discover who they are at an earlier age. You know, we just kind of backed our way into it. A lot, of course, everything we do, none of it, the paradigm for it didn't exist. Well, you maybe know, we beyond could... just being entertainers or filmmakers when we were middle school and high school. But, um, you know, that's the thing I want to instill in my kids is self-expression and understanding yourself and having opportunity to explore things and fail, you know, to find the one thing that you succeed at. So um, maybe we should just invent a new sport. You know, maybe that's what it is. You know, maybe it's a sport where you wear pants. On, like, you know, like that's part of it. You have to wear pants. Just call it pants. It's pants the sport. And right. it's just how quickly you can get on the most number of pants. Okay. Or you could just. It could just be the art of wearing pants, and it's not a sport. It's it's just like you walk around. That's modeling. Oh yeah, that's true. (laughs) Maybe maybe that's he wants to be a model. How you feel about that? Feel great about it. (laughs) Good looking guy. They make lots of bank, and they get free clothes. You know, you walk right off that runway and just keep going. You keep the clothes. You know, technically that's not true. Yeah, I know. Technically, they're they're not tax tax deductible. Right, but I'm saying if you just kept walking, he he, could steal them. Steal them. He would be steal the clothes. He'd be a thief. So that that's really career. the moral of the story today, kids, is uh, if you're a model, you should steal the clothes. And uh, parents, you know, uh, we don't envy you because we are one of you, <laughs> and it's not easy. Uh, but, you know, we screw it up and just don't tell anybody. Yeah, that's, and and, and I will have, say- You don't have to talk at length like we do about it and yeah. show your hand. You really can't, I mean, can you really get, if you've got the best intentions and, you're, and, you're, and you care <laughs> about the welfare of your kids, can you really screw it up that bad? It's just I like, mean, think of it, cavemen raise kids, man. Cave, but they were cave kids, in fairness. <laughs> you know, they, you know they're-, they're uh, Using words like Their etiquette <laughs> around the cave was just embarrassing. But I mean, they've been doing it for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, and you know, it's it's not that big of a deal. So, right? um, I think that we'll be talking to someone besides each each of us in the next year biscuit. Yeah, hopefully. And, uh, but there will be other ones where we're talking to you. So, uh, if you want to give us feedback on this ear biscuit, please do. And if you want to hear us talk about something else specifically, uh, where should they comment? They could comment on this 
SoundCloud. On SoundCloud would be a good place. Or you could do that on iTunes. Yeah, um, but tweet at us and let us know. Uh, hashtag Ear Biscuits, that's really the best way. Leaving a review on iTunes is uh, fabulous and really helps us. You can comment along on SoundCloud. Thanks again for hanging out and uh, as we went down memory lane. I started with underwear around my uh, underwear place mm-hmm. and now they're in my hand. Here they are right here. And Link, I'm gonna put them in a box. Link does and I'm not have keep, his underwear. I'm gonna keep them for years it's in just, my hand. Just, just some, it's a metaphor, he's not really holding his underwear. I can attest to that. 